focus on headline. And let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, our reporter is Cheji Hee and Yu Simin joins us in the studio. Guys, welcome back. Good evening. We are going to start things off with some uh, domestic politics uh, news. Candidate registration beginning Thursday for the June 1st local elections, not to mention the parliamentary by-election. So let's get some updates on this, Simin. Sure. So the highly anticipated candidate registration for local elections began today. Well, the National Election Commission received the candidate candidacy registration for two days from today and tomorrow. Well, the official 13-day campaign period will kick off from May 19th, which is next Thursday. Well, so offer grabs in the local elections are 17 mayoral and provincial governor posts, not to mention local council seats and some education board chiefs across the nation. Well, the big city mayoral post, the provincial governors, such as, of course, the Seoul mayor position and the Gyeonggi province governor positions are considered the major key race in the polls. So, you know, from several weeks prior to the upcoming local elections, we have paid attention to the progress in the local election. And there are several reasons why we paid attention to the possible results and the outcomes. Well, for one, because it could serve as an early bellwether for the new government of President Yoon song yeol as it will take place only 22 days after the launch of the new UN administration. Well, number two, uh, seven National Assembly seats are also at stake in parliamentary by-elections because those elections elections, those seats were vacated as those who were elected in those districts have resigned in order to run for the mayoral and gubernatorial posts. Well, of course, another reason, the political heavyweights like the former presidential candidates Lee Jae-myung and An Cheol-soo have declared their bids and hence the reason why we're paying so much attention to this. Yeah, it is going to be quite interesting. I mean, uh, we just had the presidential elections and now we have the local elections. Uh, obviously not as much attention to the local elections, but I mm. think it's still very important yeah. Uh, considering all these uh, things you told us. Uh, but nevertheless, there will be some interesting races to watch whether Anne or Lee will win each of their seats. Uh, the Seoul Gyeonggi mural races, I mean, these are obviously major regions uh, to, I guess, uh, grab here. So tell us about that. Yeah, so Anter Su, as we know, the former chief of Yoon's transition committee is aiming for the seat representing the Bundang A district of Songnam, Gyeonggi-do province, as the ruling PPP candidate. Well, Lee Jae-myung, the former presidential candidate, is hoping to win the seat at in the Gyeong B district in Incheon, which is 40 kilometers west of Seoul, as the main opposition Democratic Party candidate. So with these two big shots, political big shots, all running as candidates in the local election, some call these June 1st local election as a mini small-scale presidential election, or it's also been considered as a quite of an extended version of the presidential election as well. Well, the two uh, also have expressed their willingness to lead not only in their constituencies, but also to lead the party's overall election victory. So essentially linking their political future with the results of their local election results. Well, of course, the ruling party PPP, the People Power Party's goal is to secure and cement the momentum and support base in the very early days of the UN administration by winning the first local election. And of course, the major opposition Democratic Party is determined to kind of avenge the defeat of the last presidential election and also to increase its presence. Well, of course, just like you said, SJ, the race for sole mayor, definitely a crucial position. And that will mainly be between 
the current mayor Woo Se-hun and former Democratic Party chairman Song Young-gil, while the contest for Gyeonggi governor will largely be between former finance minister Kim Dong-yeon of the Democratic Party and the former lawmaker Kim Moon-hae of the PPP, the you know former spokesperson for the Yoon's presidential transition committee. Sumin, are you very excited with the uh, the local elections? You're like stomping <laughs> your feet as you're talking about what? this right Me? now. Me really? <laughs> so you're very excited with the upcoming local elections. I am no, excited. I'm always. actually, I'm actually, you know what? I, I, me too. I'm very excited because you know all these candidates that you just talked about. There's a very good chance that Lee Jae Myung is going to try to run for the presidential elections in five years, yeah, right? And there's true. a very good chance that I. I don't They're know. all so, considered presidential hopefuls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. An Cheol-soo, uh, despite the fact that maybe he's lost some of his supporters mm-hmm. uh, after he kind of withdrew and then, you know, get, went into PPP, uh, he might still be a contention. Uh, Mayor Oh Se-un, yeah. always a, uh, you know, potentially a, a presidential nominee as mm-hmm. well. So, I mean, these are all names that we might actually hear yeah. uh, in the next presidential election five years from now. So, yes, uh, not necessarily stopping my feet over this, but uh, <laughs> I'm very much excited for this as well. Uh, this is an interesting one because our writer was asking me this uh, question whether or not I'm going to be voting uh, in the upcoming local elections. Uh, the mm-hmm. fact is uh, some foreigners living in the country can actually vote in the upcoming local elections. It depends on what kind of visa you have. So let's kind of learn more about the qualifications and the difference in the voting procedures of Korean nationals living abroad as well. Uh, Ji, you have more on this. Right. So as written in Article 15 of the Public Official Election Act of South Korea, Korea, uh, non-citizen residents in South Korea can vote if three years have passed since they acquired permanent residence in the country. So non-citizens' right to vote was awarded in the fourth local elections in 2006 after the revision of the act in 2005. And this makes South Korea the only Asian country that grants non-citizens the right to vote in local elections. And according to the National Election Commission, uh, the number of non-citizen voters has been continuously rising since 2006 when the voting first began. So the number was 6,726 in the fourth local election in 2006, but it grew to 12,878 and then to 48,428. And it even surpassed the 100,000 mark for the first time in the seventh local election held in 2018. Uh, So to be eligible to vote as a non-citizen in the country, one must be aged 18 or above, and you must have acquired the permanent residency, and it has to have passed three or more years uh, before Election Day, according to the Immigration Act, and you also have to be registered with your local government. Uh, However, these non-citizen residents cannot vote for the president or members of the National Assembly. Yeah, so their voting rights only applies to the local elections. And the reason South Korea provides such voting rights to foreigners is to realize the universality of democracy in the country. Well, so the fundamental meaning behind local governance is a self-governance led by the residents. So uh, the non-citizens' voting rights allow foreign residents who are members of the local community to actually participate in the basic political process of where they're living in. And foreign residents with voting rights can participate in the early voting as well, which is to be held on the 27th and 28th of this month, or vote on the very day of the local elections slated for June 1st. 
and polling stations will be set up in town halls in every community across the country. And voters can check their voter registration number and local polling station in the voting guidebook, which will be sent to each household in Korean, English, and simplified Chinese. And for further details, uh, voters can refer to the National Election Commission website, www.nec.go.kr. And voters on the very day of the voting must carry their national ID card and visit the assigned polling station. And voting will uh, occur from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. for all the early voting days as well as the actual voting day. And with their voting right, a non-citizen voter can only participate in the local elections and not the by-elections held in the same period. And as of March, uh, the number of eligible non-citizen voters, this is quite surprising, mm-hmm. amounts to uh, 126,668. But do you know how many, pers- the, what the percentage of Chinese people are? Uh, uh, probably total? a very high percent, like 98 <laughs> percent. 98%. 98%. Well, that's too high because okay. it's almost 80 oh, percent. It's 78.9 percent to be exact. And uh, also for the local elections, Korean nationals living abroad, they can't vote in the country Mm. where they are. So unlike the presidential election, so they must be in the country in South Korea, in the jurisdiction of where their residency is registered. Yeah, I can't vote on this because uh, Mm -hmm. I do not have a permanent residence. Uh, Mm. I do have a a proper, yes, I'm in here with a proper visa, but my (laughs) visa, uh, it was actually, I found out for the first time just uh, last year, because uh, I have the F4, which is the, uh, the what basically the Korean-American mm. uh, residency. And it, it's not permanent residency. And so I wasn't eligible for any of like the, the, the COVID-19 financial assistance or anything like that. Um, but um, it's okay. Uh, Alicia Fisher says, is citizens or rather non-citizen the right word? Once you own a home in a location for three years, does that make you a citizen? No, because you have to have the citizenship, mm-hmm. right? In order for you to be properly known as a citizen. But rather when you have... Uh, I guess been in this location for I guess like three years you said you call him a a permanent resident Uh, I I believe uh, this is the same term that you use uh, over in the United States as well. Uh, nevertheless, uh, let's go into other news here. President Yoon Sagyar went ahead with the appointment of Foreign Minister and Interior Minister earlier in the day without a formal approval from the National Assembly because uh, these are the positions that can go through with just the president uh, pulling through for them. Uh, tell us a little bit more about this, Sumin. Yeah, so we are continuing to see some delays in parliamentary confirmations of major cabinet posts, but President Yoon Sagyar on Thursday pushed ahead with the appointment of Park Jin as Foreign Minister and Lee Sang-min as Interior Minister. Well, the president earlier called on the National Assembly to adopt the confirmation hearing reports for five cabinet nominees, but he was quick to appoint Park Jin and Lee Sang-min without the formal approval from the National Assembly. Well, here in South Korea, all ministers are subject to a parliamentary confirmation process, but only the prime minister's appointment requires parliamentary approval. Now, this was part of an attempt to secure a quorum of ministers for Yoon's first cabinet meeting, which of course took place early in the afternoon because he needed at least three more ministers to meet the quorum because a cabinet meeting requires the majority of its members, currently 11 out of 20, to be present. Well, Health Minister Gwon Duk-chan, Gwon Duk-chan and Land and Transport Minister Do Hyung-wook 
who are still in office were present for the first cabinet meeting as well. So kind of going back to uh, Park's appointment, well, another reason for Park's appointment could be with the U.S. President Joe Biden's visit set for mm. next week for the first summit with Yoon Seok-yeol. The president could not really bear a vacancy in the foreign minister position. Meanwhile, the National Assembly later adopted confirmation hearing reports for SME's Minister nominee Lee Young and Industry Minister nominee Lee Chang-yang, raising the number of minister nominees it has approved, approved to 9 out of 19. But uh, the National Assembly has yet to endorse Prime Minister Han Dok-su and nine others. Yeah, it is. Uh, there's quite a bit of a delay here uh, with this, but uh, we did, of course, uh, expect this to happen uh, with the Democratic Party still having the majority seats there. But we talked about the second extra budget plan yesterday. Sumin, could you walk us through the new plan approved just a few hours ago? It's actually bigger than what we previously expected, right? Yeah, so as you said, Astrid, this year's second extra budget plan was expected to be around 33 trillion won, of course, plus alpha. But it turned out to be not only larger, but it was a record high amount. So the proposed extra budget amounts to 59.4 trillion won, which is 46.1 billion US dollars. And these are aimed at compensating small business owners for their losses from COVID-19 business restrictions. So for this record high budget, the government will utilize excess tax revenue that's worth 44 trillion trillion won without issuing additional government bonds. So with this cabinet vote, the supplementary budget plan will be submitted to the National Assembly tomorrow. Now let's take a look at the pillar of this supplementary budget plan. So they're going to pay at least 6 million won or up to 10 million won per person to 3.7 million small business owners and the self-employed people. So for that, a total of 23 trillion won will be spent and another extra 3.3 trillion won is earmarked for the pandemic hit merchants so for example they will offer some financial incentives financial support to help revitalize the merchants and also we are you know dealing with increasing inflationary pressure so separate 3.1 trillion won will be uh, is earmarked for efforts to tame inflation so president Yoon song yar urged the cabinet members to do their best to ensure the proposal quickly passes through the National Assembly. Now, we've talked about this uh, multiple times before, and uh, I still can't believe this is the case because uh, as as terrible as I feel, um, I sacrifice the environment over a cheaper fuel. And hmm. now not only am I making the environment terrible, I'm also paying more than gasoline <laughs> because diesel prices in the country uh, outstripping gasoline for the first time in over a decade. Chihi, tell us more about this. Sure. So due to tight global supply attributable to the ongoing Russia-Ukraine war and recent fuel tax cuts, industry data revealed that the average diesel price beat that of gasoline for the first time in 14 years since June 2008. So the all-time high was at 1,947.751, which was recorded on July 16th of 2008. And according to OPNET, which is a website operated by the state-run Korean National Oil Corp, uh, the average diesel price at local gas stations rose to 1,950.81 per liter, uh, which is an increase by 3.21 compared to the previous day. Well, as we know, uh, diesel is usually a lot cheaper than gasoline, uh, but it has now outrun the price of 
gasoline, which is uh, very shocking. In fact, Wednesday's diesel price soared by 6.11 from the previous day, uh, compared with a 2.31 increase in the gasoline price in the same period. So the surge in diesel price came amid a supply shortage of petroleum products following international sanctions on Russian petroleum products and other energy resources over its invasion of Ukraine. And the government's fuel tax cut, uh, which took effect early this month, also pushed up the diesel price as the fixed 30% cut reduced the tax for gasoline by a greater amount than uh, that applied to diesel. And according to an official at the Korean National Oil Corp, uh, he explained that the rise in international diesel prices and the fuel tax cut have all brought up brought about the recent price reversal. And this trend is expected to continue for some time unless there's a breakthrough in the international diesel su- supply. And the price increase puts a considerable burden, of course, on truck drivers as diesel is used for large commercial vehicles such as cargo trucks, buses and construction equipment. And to alleviate the burden, the government has been offering subsidies uh, to these people in the industry from early this month, which will run for the next three months. Tell you, it's a, it's a huge burden for my. You know what's interesting is <laughs> at the start of the pandemic, when mm-hmm. diesel prices, I remember I was uh, paying about uh, 891 per liter. Oh. Uh, so it cost me about Whoa. 35,000 won to fill up my tank at the time. Mm. Now it's costing me 85. Thousand oh period gosh. one uh, to fill more my tank. More than doubled, right? Yeah, yeah, it's more than doubled since uh, the. Well, I mean, obviously, when the pandemic hit, I mean, we saw prices we've never seen before. Mm, right. But at the That's same time, again, we're seeing prices that we've never seen before too. But it's on the other other side of things. Uh, Chu Kyung Wo, of course, uh, Yoon Suk-yeol's government's first finance minister, uh, took part in a virtual meeting with finance ministers of two other Asian countries, China and Japan. Tell us what he said, Sumin. Sure. So Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister Chu Kyung-ho made a debut at the international stage through a video conference between finance ministers of South Korea, China and Japan, of course with the central bank governors earlier today. So this meeting is the consultative body in which the three countries discuss economic cooperation measures and basically preview the agendas of the finance ministers and central bank governors meeting of ASEAN plus three. Well, 10 ASEAN countries, including Thailand, Vietnam and Indonesia and also the three ASEAN countries, Asian countries. Well, Chung Wo, the finance minister, said that over the past two years, South Korea has achieved a slightly higher growth than expected in the first quarter of this year by minimizing economic shocks caused by the pandemic through effective quarantine measures and bold policy responses. But we are still closely watching the downside risks. And he also noted that the new government plans to push ahead with economic policies that focus on supporting damage to small business owners, stabilizing the people's livelihoods, and also improving macroeconomic stability through timely response to external and internal risks. Well, actually, yesterday in the swearing-in ceremony, uh, Finance Minister Chu kyung said that the Yun government will work to restore dynamism centered around the private sector, uh, markets, and companies through bold deregulation, uh, deregulatory measures to promote investment and also for quality jobs. And he also shared some plans to pull the economy out of the so-called low-growth spiral to tame inflationary risks and also to deal with the geopolitical crisis. 
Kind of going back uh, to the issue over diesel, uh, one of our listeners from my live YouTube streaming, Kay, who's listening to our show for the fourth day now, uh, mm -hmm. maybe the electric car industry may benefit from these high gasoline prices. But uh, the problem is if you want to buy these EVs these days, it's taking about a year at least uh, after you place the order. Uh, not to mention, once everyone goes electric car, there's a consensus that electric prices are going to skyrocket because That's there's true. more demand for it, right? So, I mean, it's not necessarily a good thing. But yeah, for now, if you have an EV, you're certainly, certainly saving a lot of money, to be honest with you. Right. Uh, we are going to talk about North Korea this time, um, but uh, something that we've, I, you know, I can't say we've been waiting for this because that sounds bad, mm -hmm. right? But that no. we knew it was happening uh, but we're finally hearing a first confirmed COVID-19 outbreak in North Korea. Now, this the, the, what's interesting about this is because this is according to a state media report. Okay, yeah. They actually came out officially through their state media that they reported their first Omicron case. So let's kind of take a look at how the North Korean leader is responding to this quote-unquote emergency situation. Chihi, take us away. Sure. So North Korea announced its first coronavirus infection more than two years into the pandemic today, uh, believe it or not. And the leader Kim Jong-un called for raising COVID-19 preventive measures to maximum levels, which is a de facto lockdown to prevent further spread of the disease. And according to the North's official Korean Central News Agency, uh, Pyongyang detected cases of the stealth Omicron variant and the media outlet reported that this is the country's quote-unquote maximum emergency and that a hole in their emergency quarantine front, which they have kept safe for over two years, has occurred. And the KCNA did not reveal the actual number of confirmed cases and the possible sources of the infection, uh, but this is the first time the isolated regime officially confirmed a COVID-19 infection in the country. And the media outlet also said that an organization in its capital city collected some samples from patients with high fevers over the weekend, on Sunday to be exact, and concluded it to be an infection caused by the Omicron variant. And following the detection of the virus, North Korean Korea held a Politburo meeting of the Workers' Party with its leader Kim Jong-un in attendance to discuss the response measures, including, uh, like I said earlier, a de facto lockdown. And in the meeting, Kim ordered all cities to completely halt transfers and movements between regions and isolate industry groups, production units, and living units to prevent the spread of the virus. And Kim also urged the people to maintain their morale in the workforce, saying the state's key business sectors, such as farms and factories, should continue to do, to do their best to meet their national production goals successfully. Uh, and the North Korean leader also called for tighter vigilance on all fronts, including land, sea and air borders, to maintain a safety vacuum for national defense as well. Uh, meanwhile, according to the intelligence authorities, North Korea had imposed a temporary lockdown on the 4th and lifted the measure the next day after reports from across the country fe of fever cases of unknown origins. And, the South uh, and South Korea's National Intelligence Service had also reported last October that a waterborne disease was spreading in North Korea. And also, according to the NK News, a U.S.-North Korea specializing media outlet, uh, 
it, it reported that North Korea had imposed a brief na nationwide lockdown on the 10th as well. So judging by all these reports, it seems that North Korea had monitored the COVID-19 situation in the country for a week uh, with the imposing and lifting of the temporary lockdown measures and now has finally officialized the infection situation considering the scale and speed of the disease. All right. Uh, before we get into uh, discussions on this front, it's also uh, been widely expected that North Korea might carry out another nuclear test with the launch of the new South Korean administration, right? I mean, we saw that even with the launch of the Moon administration when they conducted the sixth nuclear test, uh, there is the possibility of the seventh. But in this situation, I mean, that might not actually be the case. Whatever it may be, uh, what are the possibilities of this actually happening? Sumin, take us away. Yeah, so, you know, the nuclear test, of course, is the reason why so so many people are paying attention to the potential impact of North Korea formally acknowledging this virus outbreak, because obviously that would put a break, possibly put a break on the regime's reported preparations for another nuclear test. And this is exactly why the international community, especially South Korea, Japan and the United States, are watching closely to North Korea's virus situation. So North Korea, as Kim Jong-un has consistently said, is expected to focus all of the country's capabilities on internal virus prevention measures. And that's been raising some speculations that military provocations, including the presumptive seventh nuclear test, might stop for the time being. So some observers here in South Korea raised the possibility that it will stay away from nuclear testing and some other military provocations for the time being to focus on ramping up antivirus efforts while reaching out to the international community for relevant medical supplies and vaccine assistance. Well, Hong Min, who is a senior researcher at the Unification Research Institute, he said that the COVID-19 outbreak will influence its nuclear test because if pushing ahead with the nuclear, uh, if they push ahead with the nuclear test after having declared the quote-unquote maximum emergency virus control system while at the same time controlling people's daily lives, that would obviously stoke immense dissatisfaction and suspicion among the people in North Korea. And another possibility that the experts are raising is that North Korea might seek help of the international community either by seeking vaccine supplies or treatment with the formal and official acknowledgement of the virus outbreak. Well, North Korea, as we know so far, has not accepted any vaccines assigned by the COVAX facility, nor responded to the U.S. and South Korea's offer to provide vaccines. So there could be a change in their attitudes. And South Korea's unification ministry, meanwhile, said that South Korea is willing to cooperate with North Korea anytime for humanitarian purposes. So, as we've been saying, there are several possible scenarios, but North Korea's future actions will really hinge on the COVID-19 infection trend in North Korea. So for now, it's highly likely that they will try to respond to COVID-19 uh, virus outbreak through its own virus prevention measures. But if the spread continues, they might eventually resort to external uh, international community support. And another scenario that some analysts are raising is that this might serve as an opportunity to resume dialogue between the two Koreas and also uh, between United States and North Korea. You know, um, this is interesting because when I, when I found out, I found out uh, shortly after 9, 9 a.m. this morning, mm -hmm. I found out about this. 
Uh, I thought it was interesting that they said one Omicron case because I, I think the consensus was they've already had an outbreak, right? Mm. It's just that they never reported mm, it. Yeah. Why report it now? Uh, of all things on their state media, I mean, they've been so good kind of being proud and loud about uh, not having any COVID-19 cases for two and a half years. Why report it now of all times right now? And of course, they're not going to say they had like 10 cases, 20 cases. They're just going to say one because it's still not a problem yet they put in maximum emergency measures in place over a single case here why are they doing this and also how do you think north korea will respond to the covid 19 situation are they going to accept vaccine help because they haven't done so before are they going to start opening their hands what's next in north korea let's start off with you chihi well, uh, I'm, I'm sure that they had seen infections before, but like you said, they never reported on it. But now they came to a point where the situation may go uh, out of control and they have felt that. And we never we have never been reported on the vaccination level as well. I mean, they have not accepted the vaccines from the international community. So uh, I'm sure the infection will go uncontrollable. And we know how the stealth Omicron is. Yeah. Uh, it's very contagious. And if it does go out of control, then all its economic activities will be halted. And I'm sure uh, the... Uh, the leader, Kim Jong-un, is quite afraid of that situation coming in the future. And recently, even there was a report of a fire outbreak in the Kaesong Industrial Complex. And uh, observers expected it to be uh, a result of them trying to run the uh, complex because they are suffering economically. And so we have various uh, reasons that I mean, hints that uh, North Korea is suffering from economic difficulties. Yeah. And I'm sure they know that this infection will uh, make that even worse. So I guess that's why they have at this point reported on uh, their infection case and officialized the situation in the country. Sumi, what about yourself? Well, I really do think that their future actions will depend on how the COVID-19 infection spreads, as some of the analysts had expected. Because, you know, despite the stringent COVID-0 policy, zero COVID policy, China also saw uh, over a million infections. So I do think that North Korea would see a similar trend panning out. And I'm pretty sure that the infection numbers will spike to at least a few tens of thousands at the very least. And mm -hmm. they have stayed mum until now, but they are now formally acknowledging it and I think that it's because, as Chihi and you said, they might already be seeing so some more cases. And if it really does spiral out of control, North Korea might seek for international communities help for vaccines and treatments. And perhaps even when North Korea does not ask for help in advance, South Korea or the United States might preemptively provide assistance because Unification Minister Kwon Young-sae himself earlier said, earlier, uh, earlier said that they, uh, South Korea is really willing to provide humanitarian assistance. And South Korean health authorities are already reviewing um, uh, to provide the leftover vaccines, South Korea's leftover vaccines to North Korea. And I do want to comment on some of the uh, analyst predictions that this might serve as an opportunity to resume dialogue between the two Koreas and the United States. Well, on that front, I think it's perhaps too optimistic of a prediction because I don't think North Korea will necessarily open the doors up for the dialogue just because of their COVID-19 situation. And I do think they will not, you know, suddenly ma make a radical change in stance, especially when it comes to, you know, 
negotiations or dialogue. I tell you, there, there's, uh, it's, it's interesting. Only in North Korea do we analyze so much on a single Omicron variant yeah, being exactly. reported on the state media. And this is how I saw it. I was like, okay, why all of a sudden is North Korea pulling this off? Now, I disagree with some of the, uh, the analysis coming out that North Korea is going to stop their nuclear test mm. uh, because of their quote-unquote outbreak. I think this is what's going to happen. I think they're going. They're still going. They're going to test a UN administration. I still think that they're going to fire away and test a nuclear weapon sometime in between uh, now and before Joe Biden, Biden comes. Summit. Yeah, I because, second that. Yeah, because it's not going to come when Joe Biden's there. That's mm. like test. That's pushing it too far, right? <laughs> yeah. When President of the United States is in on the Korean Peninsula, they're not going to be testing their nuclear weapons, right? So they're going to fire away. They've already reported that they had a single Omicron case. So they're saying, hey. This is one route that you can hold a dialogue with. But if they go, we need the vaccines, we need help right now. Mm. The reason why I think North Korea for the longest time, they never opened their hands is because they were afraid that the uh, South Koreans and the Americans were going to use that as leverage Mm. to denuclearize North Korea. Now they're going to test their nuclear weapons. They've already shown that they need uh, they need help with the vaccines. Now they can discuss. Right. It's not going to be like, all right, listen, you need to denuclearize or they can actually I think North Korea is too uh, big. Uh, they, they, they think so highly of themselves that they're not going to open their hands first, mm. right? So they've already said we need help, but they're going to test their nuclear weapons. And then they're going to go, uh-oh, we need to talk to North Korea because they've tested their seven nuclear weapon. Hey, listen, you know what we could do is we could give you some vaccines if you can stop doing all this. Yeah. So I think Perhaps, this is yeah. eventually this one Omicron variant case. I don't even know if it's real. <laughs> okay. Honestly, so I, yeah, I don't even know if this is real, okay? I mean, granted, there could be two, three. I, I don't know. I think the reason why they put this out is it's very, it, for some reason, it's so close to what I think is going to be the ne- next nuclear mm, test. Political reasons. Yeah, it's definitely yeah, a political reason. Strategic. Because so far, why now? Mm. Why, you know, of all places, their state media uh, report this, right? Yeah. Nevertheless, the UN Security Council is still holding an emergency meeting on Wednesday to discuss North Korea's missile provocations, but uh, the session actually ended with no significant outcome. Uh, with considerable gaps in the stances among some of the major countries. So let's hear more about this, Chihi. Right. So the UN Security Council convened an open session on Wednesday afternoon at the UN headquarters in New York to discuss the North's missile launches at the request of the United States, as well as South Korea and Japan. And a majority of members joined the U.S., Britain, and France in condemning North Korea for violating Security Council resolutions with its recent missile launches. However, China and Russia said strengthening sanctions against the North could not help resolve the problems. In fact, China in particular insisted that the tensions escalated because the U.S. did not accept the North's demands. And Chang Jun, the Chinese envoy to U.N., claimed that the current tension was formed because the U.S. ran counter to the promise made with the North during the Singapore summit. And U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Linda Thomas-Greenfield refuted such claims, saying that China and Russia are hindering global efforts to deal with the North Korean threats, saying that the world cannot wait until the North conducts a nuclear test and and that now is the time to act. Uh, What's notable from our side regarding the recent UNSC meeting is that it's the first of which was convened after the UN administration kicked off. 
And according to the foreign ministry, South Korean ambassador to the UN Cho Hyun called on North Korea to respond in concordance with the international community's efforts to establish sustainable peace in the Korean peninsula through complete, verifiable, and irreversible denuclearization. And observers analyzed the remarks as reflecting the new South Korean government's stances regarding North Korean issues. And such interpretation comes as Ambassador Cho had only used the term complete denuclearization and not the CVID uh, during the UNSC open session held last March during the Moon Jae-in administration. Uh, so this current remark is apparently a much stronger comment against the North. Uh, we're going to round things out quickly with an update on the COVID-19 figures here. It is a gradual decline. I mean, we're kind of concerned because we had that Children's Day and Parents' Day, you know, all those people at uh, that amusement park, uh, despite the fact that they had the mask on. Uh, the numbers were kind of a slowing downward mm. trend, but nevertheless, low figures under 50,000. Let's get the numbers with this, zoom in. Yeah, so the downward trend in infections continue with new COVID-19 cases falling below the 40,000 mark. Well, 35,906 infections were confirmed throughout the previous day. Compared to a week ago, the daily tally dropped by some 6,000, and it's also the smallest number of infections reported on a Thursday in 14 weeks. So the downward trend Trend, it continues, but you know, the sheer size and the scale number of infections still remain in the five digit territory. The number of critically ill patients dropped by 29 from yesterday to 354, down 87 from the daily average of the previous week. But there are also 63 deaths, which raised the total death toll to 23,554. All right. And of course, as we know, uh, health authorities might be lifting more uh, antivirus measures, right, uh, moving forward. So how that's going to impact the figures moving forward is the other question. Guys, thank you very much for your report and your insights on some of these issues. Stay safe. We'll see you guys again. See you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.